Let's take our Bibles this morning go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, we'll dismiss our children at this time. Galatians chapter number 3. This evening we'll be looking again at the matter of victory and spiritual warfare and I've been greatly helped just in the study itself and understanding more about uh, the the Christian life and some of the, the dynamics involved there and and, um, and so it's a very needed study I say personally but I believe it's a help to us as a church family as well because we all want revival to last and one of the reasons it doesn't last is not understanding how to operate in victory in the realm of the spiritual battle. And so we'll be looking again at that. And if you'd like to catch up on those, you can go online and find those. Galatians in chapter number three will stand in just a moment. I was reading about how human beings have a remarkably high capacity for foolishness. I heard about a man who woke up one morning in the dead of Minnesota winter and he went outside to find that the engine of his car had frozen. But he was a man of ideas and ingenuity and so he had an idea. His idea was to pour hot gasoline into his car. So he took a pot from the kitchen and poured gasoline into the pot and, and he put it on top of the stove and turned the stove on. And you can guess, things didn't go very well for him. Then I read about another situation where two truck drivers decided to stop before a low-hanging overpass. And they were in their 18-wheeler, and, and uh, they stopped and got out, and there were two men. One driver pointed out that the overpass only had clearance for 13 feet, 1 inches, while his semi required at least 14 feet. I'm sure, Brother um, Vines, you never met anybody like this in Georgia, but Brother Rice, the other colleague, had even a more astute observation than the height of the bridge and what was required for a semi. The passenger said, well, there are no cops around, so I think we should go for it. And they did. And again... It didn't go so well. The only way I think we could top this kind of folly is to try to run the Christian race and finish it in our own strength. It's not a good idea. In fact, Paul's going to give us his thought in that it's foolish. Yet we're so prone to do the very thing that these in Galatia, the Christians... We're guilty of trying to do. It's foolishness. The Christians in Galatia, they're trying to finish the Christian race in their own strength. And Paul is beside himself as a result. He can't believe it. Surely 
he concludes that there has to be some kind of satanic work involved there in Galatia, prompting this kind of wrong thinking, pouring gasoline into a, 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 a pot and putting it on the oven or, or making a, a, an attempt to clear a bridge when clearly there's not enough room. And the Christian, the child of God, trying to do the Christian life in and of their own strength. And so Paul, as a result of that, in these first five verses of Galatians 3, he peppers the people of God with a string of rhetorical questions. Stand with me, please, and let's look at these first five verses. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit... Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. This morning I want to preach this thought. Things that you cannot forget... Things that you cannot forget if you want to finish your race in victory. Things you cannot forget if you want to finish your race in victory. Yesterday, Captain LeBee ran a marathon and he completed that race. What's that? 26.2 miles of his own accord, of his own doing. And yet he had rules that he had to go by. And there were things that he had to follow in order for it to be qualified. But God too has given us some rules and some requirements. But he gives us more than rules and requirements. And there are certain things, if you're going to run your race that is set before you, and if you're going to finish it in victory, and there's some things you cannot forget. And Paul points those out. And let's look at them here this morning. Thank you. Please be seated. He says in verse 1 to start out in this, after having dealt with the cross and the impact of the not I but Christ life, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians. In that phrase, he is both showing his love for them as well as his contempt for what has happened to them. Someone paraphrased it this way. <laughs> I, I chuckle looking at it, but because I, I, it's not too often I can say this and have legitimate means of saying it. But here, here's another way in which it was worded. Oh, my beloved idiots. <laughs> oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? 
See, these words of Paul are an expression of surprise. He's perplexed. There's indignation in his tone. And the problem of the Galatians, just like ours, was not stupidity. That's not what he's saying. But it's their perception. It's not a lack of sense. But it's a lack of faith and confidence in God. See, in the Bible, the fool isn't someone who lacks education or intelligence or some type of rational capacity. That's not the fool in the Bible. However, a fool in the Bible is someone who lacks spiritual sense. In fact, it's some of those who are the most educated and know it and proud of it that are the ones that are biblically fools because they lack spiritual sense. And so to believe the false teachers in Paul's day, this is the context, who were encouraging the Galatians to embrace circumcision was in essence to make Christ's death unnecessary. That's what chapter 2, verse 21 is about. Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if the righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So he's saying, you're a fool. You have no spiritual sense and discernment among you if you think that you're going to access God in his favor by something that we do. They had known the joy and freedom of God's grace operating in their lives, but somewhere, somehow, they were now being deceived by what we studied earlier in chapter 1, the Judaizers. We know more about these from Acts chapter 15. And they're surrendering their glorious freedom for the suppressing restrictions of the law. It was incredible to Paul that these Galatians were turning away from a gospel of grace to a system of legal bondage. The Galatians, they were going from Calvary that Paul's been talking about in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And they're going back to Mount Sinai where the law was given. They moved their focus from being sons to instead placing their focus primarily on servants. They moved from liberty and freedom back into bondage. They've moved from faith to works. They've moved from Christ to ceremonies. And Paul says, you foolish Galatians. Well, what made them do this? How do we go from being genuinely saved and finding the, the position of freedom, the person of freedom in Jesus Christ, to finding ourselves in bondage without liberty and freedom? Well, he says the answer to that in verse number one. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath, what's the word? Bewitched you. See, this word bewitched, it has the, the, the concept of cast under an evil spell by influence. What is the essence of this bewitching? What was this truth or this falsehood that these Galatians had bought into? Well, verse 3, here's part of it. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Paul's getting across after beginning with God, 
the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Because when a person gets saved, God literally moves inside. That was chapter 2 and verse 20. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ literally lives in me. And he says, you, you started with God in you. Now you're trying to attain the goal of the Christian life by your own human effort. I want to say to you this morning that I believe one of the greatest bewitchings that has come upon believers is getting them, getting God's people to believe that even though they are saved by grace through faith, they began in the Spirit, yet they have to perfect and mature in the Christian life by the works of their own flesh. See, the, the fallacy and the problem with many a discipleship book and program and emphasis that I've seen is teaching salvation as Jesus and Jesus only by faith in Him, but then teaching discipleship following Jesus based upon a string of things that we have to do. And much of what we then are presenting and the way we receive it is we can do all of those things without Him. And Paul says, you bunch of spiritual idiots. Are you so foolish? Why would you begin with God only to abandon Him and you do it yourself? See, if we're going to grow and mature in the Lord, it's going to be by our performance? No, it's by His power. By following rules and regulations? No, it's by experiencing revival power in the nature of God. If somehow we think these, these foolish Christians, somehow we think we're going to become more pleasing to God and we're going to be more like Jesus and we're going to grow and mature in Him and have His favor and His power, then it's up to me. I've got to do it. I've got to work hard. I've got to be busy so I can become like Christ. Now don't misunderstand. I believe God's given us plenty of work to do. We must be about the Father's business. In Acts chapter 1 verse number 7, Jesus said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, but which the Father hath put in His own power. But He does say in verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. The greatest business you can be a part of is being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a billboard for deity. No greater business in all the world. But he never intended for you to do it. He intended for you the same way you got saved to allow him to do what only he can do. That's why it's called the Christian Christ life. That's why Paul said Galatians 2.20, not I. I'm not winning people to the Paul life. I'm bringing them and introducing them to the Christ life. Service and activity will never make you spiritual. Service and activity will not make you spiritual. Service and activity ought to flow out of your being intimate and spiritual with the one who is spiritual his name is Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible says Jesus ordained. He chose 12. Why? Well, it says that they would go forth and preach in verse 15 to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out devils. But there's one key statement 
that helps us understand and keep it in balance. The Bible says he ordained 12, not that they should go forth and preach and to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons, but he chose 12, here it is, Mark 3, 14, that they should be with him. Do you know why the disciples were ever effective at preaching and healing sicknesses and casting out devils? Because they had been with him. They'd been with Jesus. And it's always to be that way. Your activity and mind for the Lord is not what pleases Him. What pleases Him, Hebrews eleven six, faith. Because faith is saying it's not in me, it's found in Him. Mary and Martha are a great example. In Luke chapter 10, verse number 40, the Bible says, Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to Jesus and Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve, serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. Now anytime Jesus says something, it's important. But when he repeats himself and he says it twice, it's for a highlight and emphasis. Remember, he said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. He said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. On the cross he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And here he says to the one who is taking what she does for the Lord, and she's using that and substituting what she does and forgetting it's supposed to be what he does. And he says to her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're careworn about things. But one thing is needful. And your sister Mary, she hath made that decision. That's one of the reasons we have invitations to help us make that one needful decision. What was it that Mary was doing? Wasting time at Jesus' feet. See, that's how consecrated carnal Christians look at it. Well, look at what I'm doing. I don't have time to spend an hour with God a day. No, and it shows in your life. It reeks. And so Jesus says, you're anxious, you're careworn about things. Things. You're not caught up with the person of Jesus. So Paul says, oh, foolish. Galatians. We don't serve to be spiritual, but you ought to be spiritual. And if you are, you will serve. Let me say it again. We don't serve to be spiritual, but you get near Jesus, he'll make you spiritual. And you will serve. We wouldn't have to prime the pump and beg people, volunteer for Jesus. No, if you're with Jesus, you're, you're not going to want to balk at serving the one who is your life. Why, Paul says, would adult male converts of Jesus living in this ancient world, why would they want to get circumcised? Well, there were certainly social pressure. There were those who were placing this emphasis, the Judaizers, but ultimately they become convinced that circumcision was the key to finishing the race, crossing the finish line, finding success with God on that last day. 
They'd been told by these Judaizers, the agitators, that no matter how well they'd started, it didn't matter how well you started with God, you're not going to find success and finish in victory without undergoing circumcision. Again, Acts 15, we see that same emphasis in that first battle, that first business meeting of the church of Jerusalem. And to put it in theological terms, the Galatians had become convinced that they needed circumcision in order to be right with God. So Paul is distraught. He's disturbed. Because this, these people that he's ministered to, they've gone wayward. And their behavior implies nothing less than a departure from the gospel of Jesus Christ. This departure from the gospel, it jeopardizes their entire future. Paul fears he's labored over them in vain. That's what he says in chapter 4 and verse 11. He says in chapter 5 and verse 7, you are running well, but you're not running well any longer. In chapter 5 and verse 4, it appears that, that you've gotten away from the grace of God, he says. And, and if you don't finish the race by grace, then you can't really receive the prize of victory in Jesus. It's that simple. So to go to circumcision, he is telling them, is to leave Christ. But leaving Christ will only leave them utterly exposed on the day of judgment. Wood, hay, and stubble is what you're going to receive. No matter how sincere, no matter how hard you were working, that doesn't cut it with the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, what's Paul's response? In short, he pleads with the Galatians, don't look to the law. He saved you from the law. Don't look to the law. And Paul said the law is good for those that we tend to go from one ditch to another. And he's telling them, stop looking to the law to save you. Stop looking to the law to give you life. Stop looking at the law to, to liberate you and give you freedom. And so the other ditch is people go to another ditch and say, we don't want to hear any law preaching. But that's not the answer. Paul said in Romans 7, the law's good. He said, I would not have known sin had it not been for law preaching. What's law preaching? Preaching against sin. Paul says the law's good. He's just saying the law, however, is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. The Spirit alone is able to give success. And so... These Judaizers have affected these people, this congregation after Paul had left. They're saying Jesus is good. You need Jesus, but you just need some more stuff. So these believers, they became bewitched. They thought, okay, I'm saved. And in the discipleship course I got from these Judaizers, I, um, I recognize that the rest of this Christian life is all up to me. God did his part in saving, now I'll do the rest of it. It's going to be up to my efforts and it's going to be about my performance. After all, you're going to know me by my fruit, so I've got to work hard to make sure there is something that can be seen so that people can see that I'm a spiritual giant. I've got to really work hard in order to impress God. You've got to work hard to please God. Folks, I want to tell you something. We're saved by grace through faith. 
And the Christian journey is no less than living by grace through faith. And that's not something you accomplish by your performance. It is not something that you accomplish by your efforts. Listen, works cannot bring life to a lost man. And works cannot bring maturity to a saved man. Whenever I ask a person about their salvation, they tell me, I've kept the Ten Commandments, I've done this, I've done this, I've done that. It tells me they're not saved. And when we challenge God's people about their status with God and they say, well, I read my Bible and I pray and I do this and I do this, I do this. It tells me that they don't really know the one who saved them. Paul's phrase was foolish. You're foolish. Because to ever think you're saved one way and you live another, you're not going to find that in the Word of God. Why do people think that you're saved by grace through faith, but you live as though it's all up to you? What gets into people so that they think it's up to me? Most of my Christian life has been struggling in my flesh, trying to overcome until God became merciful to help me. And the reason why we tend to think that way, that it's up to me, I've got to do the best I can, is because we've been bewitched. We've been hypnotized by bad preaching, by neglecting Bible truth. See, Paul in this passage mentions three things that believers have had their attention diverted from that enabled them to become hypnotized, bewitched by wrong teaching. And I want to quickly point out three things this morning. The moment you take your eyes off of one of these three things or a combination of them, you're going to be plunged into a pit of self-effort. You're going to try and think that you can grow and become like Jesus simply because you do more than somebody else. I'm going to tell you, this, this is a Pharisee mindset. Well, you don't know us. Well, no, but he does. The issue is not if I know you. The issue is do you know him? And what happens is we tend to put great confidence on, well, I don't drink, smoke, chew, go with those who do. And some of the things you don't do is just because your body has given out a long time ago and it can't do the things that you would have done as you would have at another time. So to pride yourself on what I don't do would make a telephone pole spiritual. Oh, foolish. I'm just going to go back to idiot. Oh, idiots. And I've been there. If it wasn't for God's goodness to awaken us, what are these three things? If you're going to finish your race, you can't forget these three things. Number one, to finish well, don't forget the cross. Don't forget the importance of the cross. See, you forfeit spiritual discernment, being bewitched, when you take your eyes off the manifestation of the cross. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And this is, in the Greek text, it's an emphatic position. So he's not saying, oh, you foolish little Galatians, ha, 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 ha. No, he's telling him, you idiots. And this is a big deal. 
Because what you're doing is you're minimizing that which this entire Bible is maximizing. It's the cross. It's the cross. It's the cross where I first saw the light. And so he's saying, you, take, you took your eyes off the manifestation of the importance of the cross and it allowed you to become hypnotized. In other words, Paul's saying, I can't believe that you out of all people have been bewitched. I could understand somebody else being bewitched, but I can't believe that you have been bewitched. Why? He says in verse number one, because before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. In other words, Paul says, when I was with you, every time I talked, every time I preached, it was as though I had a big billboard. And that's what this, this word, this, these two words set forth in verse number one. That's what it means to billboard. He says, every time I was with you, I billboarded Jesus Christ and the power that took place at the cross. Jesus Christ was billboarded before you. It was like a billboard was right there in front of your eyes. And I can't believe that you of all people have taken your eyes off of that and you have forgotten that very important truth. What is one of the greatest threats to modern Christianity? 2022, I think there's two. But one that comes to my mind is that we're losing confidence in the power of the Word of God. We're losing confidence in the power of God's Word. And number two, we're forgetting the cross. We're minimizing the cross. There are churches that are trying to be so seeker-friendly to the world that they won't even mention the cross. That's why the, the, the hymns were beginning to be changed in the wording to eliminate anything bloody, anything brutal about the cross. Listen, there was nothing lovely about the cross except the one who hung and died and bled on that cross. It was brutal. It was bloody. And many churches have even thrown out the hymns and have gone with the sappy, syrupy songs. Why? Because they're minimizing the cross. Why? Because the cross is offensive. I'd rather offend a lost person by preaching the cross than to offend God by leaving it out. That's what we're doing today. We're minimizing the cross. Listen, when you minimize the cross, you take your eyes off the cross and you put your eyes on yourself. Then you begin to think, it is up to me. I've got to do it. How's your relationship with God? Well, look at what I've done. We don't need to see your resume. We need to review the cross. What you do doesn't save you, so why do you think it's up to you to please Him? So that means I don't have to do anything. That's not what He says. No. See, the reason why I'm going to go to heaven someday is because I came to Jesus he saved my soul. And the reason why a person gets all in and is a follower of Jesus Christ and a disciple of Jesus who denies their self, takes up their cross and follows Him is because they recognize it's not up to me, it's up to Him. And they get close to the one and He enables them. So when a person says, you're not going to tell me what to do, I'm going to do my own thing. Well, you still are not close to the Lord. You're back in 
Judaizer theology, you're still living for self. Self, self, self. Whether it's good self or bad self, it's all self. Consecrated carnality is still what put Jesus on the cross. Let me tell you what the cross means. Jesus Christ dying on the cross means that everything that was ever needed for your salvation and your sanctification, that means you're growing in the Christian life, and your glorification in heaven someday was accomplished by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, it's already been done. It's already been accomplished. Everything that's necessary for my salvation and my day-to-day living and for my glorification when I get to heaven was already done 2,000 years ago by Christ on the cross. So when I forget about the cross, you know what happens? I don't preach the cross. And there's a lot of preachers that have gotten, oh, they'll talk about the cross for salvation, but they forget about it when it comes to sanctification. And when I don't preach the cross, the fact is I don't like to talk about the cross. Why? Because if you talk about the cross, what are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about sin. Self. And we don't like that. Unless you remember the cross and his great love for us and how that we're constrained by his love for us and you can't help but love him. And when you and I get away from the cross, minimize the cross, what are we going to talk about? Self. Do the best you can. And what happens over time is we adjust those rules. Because, you know, in 1980s Christianity, we had these rules. But in 1990s Christianity, who's going to live by that? Certainly worldly Christians can't live that way. And so we, we make the list over here. In 2000s Christianity, because the world, we can't live this way. No one even knows what a pair of culottes are. You can't spell it. And so we bring it down to here. God help us. When God's people don't even know how to look decent for pictures that they take and they post. Why? Because we just keep messing with the rules. Well, I thought you said we don't live by rules. No, we don't. We live by the one who is our savior, deliverer, and giver of life. And remember, it's grace, grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. You know what God's grace is? God's grace is his enabling power to be what you ought to be, do what you ought to do, and you'll love it at the same time. When you get away from the cross, you get away from grace, and it comes back to you, and you say, let's reevaluate these. We're doing nothing more than what the Pope does every so often, and we readjust the law so that it's comfortable for us. If you get it to where it's comfortable and convenient for you, guess who you don't need? So this modern form of Christianity and discipleship, there's no cross, there's no sin. You solve your own problems, you get in touch with your inner self, and you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But when you come to the cross, it slays man's pride. I wonder how many of you have really been transformed going through change into his image. 
Well, it's hard to be transformed when you skip it, come in half an hour late. You idiot. I'm just giving you the Greek form of, you're foolish. Yeah, because you think you know everything. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for Brother Travis's message this morning being encouragement. We need to be encouraging to some of our men. Some of our men, they're married to their thorn in the flesh. They can't get them to do anything that's right. Oh, foolish, foolish Christians. You've been bewitched. There is witch in there, by the way. It's not of God. When you come to the cross, it slays your pride and self-effort and throws you, it, yourself on the floor and it says, I can't do it. I can't do anything to merit his favor. I can't do anything to merit salvation. You can't do anything. See, the natural man doesn't like to hear that. They don't. They don't like to hear it. When we take our eyes off the manifestation of the cross, we forget the cross. That's the moment we begin to focus on our Selves. Let me show you one thing that the cross means. You're going to have to listen a lot faster than you're listening if we're going to get done. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, notice. Paul says, but God forbid that I should glory, save, or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. You know what he's saying here? He's saying there's a double crucifixion. Paul says the world has been crucified unto me, and I unto the world. In other words, Paul says as far as I'm concerned, when I came to Jesus, the world is dead. It's dead. Friends, when you forget about the cross, you know what happens? The world comes alive to you. You begin to fancy it. You begin to think, we'll compromise our children so that we can have some better things to be comfortable with. Oh, we'll compromise our walk with God so that we can enjoy the pleasures of this world. After all, that's what's going to change your children's hearts. That's what's going to make a difference in eternity. And Paul is saying, as far as I'm concerned, the world is dead. And as far as the world is concerned, Paul says, I am dead. That means if I'm really going to proclaim and preach the cross, that means I have to live by the cross. And that means I have to understand the cross. I have to understand that the world holds no attraction for me. And I certainly don't have any attraction. I don't have any attraction for the world. Well, this is just my opinion. But I want to tell you, I respect my opinion. And I believe with all my heart that the reason so many preachers and religious leaders today are minimizing the cross is because they want to be thought well of by the world. Why would I want to be thought well of by those who are dying and going to hell? I'm not here to make them think well of me. I'm here that they would see Jesus and the importance of the cross. You can't be against homosexuality, uh, homosexuality in this age and in this day if you base it upon the Bible. Oh, people all around, they're not gonna, they'll respect your opinion if you're against it, but you bring in a Bible reason, they'll be against you. 
Oh, you can have your opinion about abortion if you have some logical thoughts about it, but you can't be against abortion if you have a Bible reason for it. Why? Because as a Christian, as a Christian, the world is not attracted to Christianity and Christians ought not be attracted to the world. If you announce yourself as a Christian, then and these are my beliefs based upon the Bible. I have a news for you. The, as far as the world is concerned, you are dead. You, you, you have no place in expressing your thought. You have nothing to offer. The reason we have such a tendency to minimize the cross is because we want to have an ear with the world. But the Bible says the ear we get with the world is that which comes from proclaiming and preaching the cross. Somebody says, well, that offends people. It's meant to. It was designed to. That's the whole purpose. Because it offends natural man. So first of all, you take your eyes off the manifestation of the cross. You're not going to finish your race. I don't care how well you start it. You will not finish it well. Number two, to finish well, don't forget the Holy Spirit. Don't forget the Holy Spirit. We forfeit spiritual discernment. We become bewitched when we forget about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I love verse 2 back in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 2. This only would I learn of you, he says, Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? This is always a good question. Paul says, I'd like to learn something, just one thing. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law or by believing the message of the cross? In other words, did you get saved and receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the Ten Commandments? Clearly, the Galatians were saved and received the Holy Spirit when they put their trust and faith in Jesus alone. And because He refers to them as being brothers with Him. And so He's saying... How did you get the Holy Spirit? How did God move inside of you? Was it by what you did or was it because of who you depended upon, namely Jesus Christ? And so he follows up with, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? It's a very logical case in which Paul's laying out. First of all, there's the cross. We can't forget the cross and what it means. Jesus did everything that was necessary for your salvation. He did everything necessary for your sanctification. And now he says, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes the message of the cross and makes it real in our lives. And it's the Holy Spirit who takes the principle and the truth and the doctrine and he makes it experiential. We weren't saved by the works of the flesh, were we? No. How were we saved? By the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. We began in the Spirit of God. So why would we be so foolish to think that what we began in the Spirit of God can now be finished by the works and effort of the flesh? It's just not so. And so when you and I minimize the work of the Holy Spirit, we forget about the Holy Spirit. We don't wait for the filling, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. What are we doing? We're doing spiritual things 
and the energy of the flesh. Paul has a great deal to say about that. Look over in Galatians chapter 5. Turn over a page to verse number 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Drop down to verse 22. But the fruit of the, what's the word? Spirit. And he goes on and he lists the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And, 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 and I'm sure you know this, but the word fruit is singular. He's not talking about nine different fruits. He's just talking about one fruit. The fruit, the one fruit that is mentioned here has nine characteristics. You say, you have a, a lot of love, but you lack in patience. You know why? Because you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're deceived about the love part. Did you know that, that God doesn't grade you on a curve? He doesn't. If you're really walking in the Holy Spirit, you're going to exhibit all nine of these characteristics. All nine. Have you ever taken time to study those nine characteristics? Do you know what they are characteristic of? They're the character of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that the Holy Spirit is not only the one that begins our salvation, but he's the one who enables our Christianity. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. I like to think of the Spirit as a fruit tree planted in the believer. I read this. If, if you disagree with it, then, then that's fine. I just, I just read it. Um, looking at this matter of leaves. And I was reading where one, um, whatever a tree expert would be, said that dead leaves tend not to fall off the trees. When the healthy leaves, living trees, their leaves are being blown off. And so he was answering the question that was presented to him, why are the dead trees, why are their leaves not blowing off? And he presented the fact that leaves are not blown off by and large. They're pushed off by budding life. And those dead leaves will exist because there's no life coming behind it. As that sap in the living tree begins to fall in that tree, it pushes off those old dead leaves so there will be room for the new leaves next spring. Since there's no life on the dead tree, there's nothing to push off those old leaves. You know what I did for a number of years, Brother Baker? I felt like in my early ministry, I spent a greater part of my Christian life climbing trees, trying to pull off dead leaves. You know, I would say, I've got to quit this. I've got to give this up. I've got to give that up. I've got to start this. I make this resolution. And I think I've just about cleared the tree, and then I find, well, there's another dead tree in my life. And God came to me in his gentleness and said, son, that's ridiculous. 
All you need to do is make certain that you're abiding in Him and the Holy Spirit in His life will flow through you, filling you. Do you know what He'll do? He'll push off those old dead leaves of hatred and pride and anger and in its place He'll put on the new fruit of love and joy and peace. You know what the glorious thing about what I'm preaching is, is that I'm not asking you to go out today and surrender to a new set of rules. I'm not asking you to surrender to a new set of regulations. I'm asking you to go out of here like God and the Holy Spirit is asking, and that is to submit to the person of God. If you're saved, you ought to submit to the one who is your Savior. And those old dead leaves in your life, He'll take care of those. But if you forget the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you'll think it's all up to you. And you'll begin to look for rules that make you comfortable. And you'll miss the person that will transform you miraculously. He is called the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a third truth. Don't forget this if you want to finish your race. To finish well, don't forget it's always about faith. It's about faith. I've been talking about these three things, the cross, the spirit, and faith. If you study the book of Galatians, you'll find that over and over again. The cross, the Holy Spirit, and faith. He says in verse number five, notice it. We'll go back to Galatians 3 I'm in chapter five. Look at chapter three and notice verse number five. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you keep the Ten Commandments? No. No, he does it when you by faith believe what you have heard. Paul's so smart. Paul's very smart. Look at verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So he's saying, consider Abraham. Now listen, here's why I say Paul's smart. Because those Jews who had become Christians, they're now trying to get the Galatians, who are not Jews, they're trying to get the Galatian Christians enslaved by getting them to follow the rules and regulations of the law. And they kept saying, if you're going to be a child of Abraham, you're going to have to do this. And they talked about circumcision. You're not going to be heirs of Abraham if you don't do this. You can't have the promise of Abraham if you don't have the rule book of Abraham. So they kept pushing Abraham down their throats, rallying around Abraham. You have to keep the law if you're going to be children of Abraham. So Paul doesn't shrink back from that. No, Paul runs to it and he comes right back and he pushes down their throat Abraham. So he says, you want to talk about Abraham? He says, let's talk about Abraham. So he quotes in verse number six. He's quoting, if you have a marginal reference in your Bible, he's quoting Genesis chapter 15, where the Bible says that the Lord imputed, he gave, he credited unto Abraham righteousness because he believed God. Now, what's so important about that? Well, here's why Paul's bringing it up. 
Because that's 430 years before the law ever came along. If it takes the law to make you a child of Abraham, it takes the law to make you an heir of Abraham, then there's something funny somewhere because Abraham was justified by his faith in God, not by the law, which didn't come along till years later. So Paul says, I want to ask you this one thing. Did you receive the Holy Spirit long before you heard about the law? These were Gentiles. They didn't know anything about the law. Now they've been saved. The Holy Spirit indwells them. God lives in them. Christ is in their hearts. But these Judaizers come along and they say, you can't be saved without the law. You can't live like the children of God without keeping the law. You can't have the Holy Spirit without the law. And they said that what was funny was because they received the Holy Spirit long before they ever even heard about the law. So Paul comes down now to verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Clearly, clearly no one is justified before God by the law. The just shall live by faith. You know that's quoted four times in the Bible? Habakkuk chapter 2, here in Galatians chapter 3, Romans chapter 1, and Hebrews chapter number 10. Now, if God says the same thing to me four times in the Bible, I get the idea that, he, idea that he's trying to tell me something. What is he saying? The just, the saved. You've got to live by faith. The just, the saved. You have to live by faith. The just, the saved. You have to live by faith. The just, the saved. You have to live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, it's faith that makes everything click. It is. It makes it click. If it were works, there's some works that we could never accomplish. Isn't it wonderful how God has made his salvation available to whosoever? Whether it's a five-year-old or a 50-year-old. Because it's not based upon works. If it was based upon works, there would be some who could not do the works. Christmas Evans, the Scottish evangelist, used to say, you could put a man in a wooden barrel, nail down the lid, wrap chains around it, padlock it, then punch out the knot hole and whisper through the knot hole how to be saved, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he could be saved right there in that barrel. Why? Because it's not based upon works. It's based upon His finished work. Isn't that amazing? It's all by faith. The just are not just saved by faith. They are to live by faith. And that's what Paul says, Colossians 2, 6. The way you get saved is the way you live the Christian life. If you get saved by works, keeping the law, you have to live the Christian life by works and keeping the law. But you get saved by faith in Jesus and you live the Christ life, the not I but Christ life by faith in the one who saved you. You know, I don't live by my faithfulness. I'm not that faithful. I don't have an ounce of trust in myself, not at all. I don't have faith in my faith. But God is faithful. I'm surprised that God even talks to me, much less listen to me. I don't know why he didn't just throw me away years ago, but God has been faithful 
He promised to be with me. It is God who promised to bless me. God promised to guide me. And he promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Folks, it's his faithfulness. And it was Abraham in Romans chapter 4 said, I am persuaded that what God promised, God is able to perform. That's the key. See, I'm all the time making promises to God. You know what happens when we do that? If we don't have the right mindset, remembering the cross, remembering the Holy Spirit, and remembering it's by faith, you make the promises, then you will be the one to have to keep it. No, no, that's not how it works. God makes the promise to us. What He has promised, we take it to the bank. He is able to perform. I haven't promised God that sin shall not reign in my mortal body, but God promised me that. I've not promised God that every need of mine would be met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. No, but he promised me that. I didn't promise God that I can do all things through Christ. No, he promised me that. And if I make the promise to God, it's up to me to keep it. No wonder people are worried. No wonder people are quitting and giving up and not even running the race that's set before them. Forget about making the promises and get out to believing the promises of God. Because when you believe, you will trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy but to trust and obey. So take out your Bible. You write down promises that God has made to you. Then the just will live by his faithfulness. Bless God. He's faithful. Let's stand together, please.